But first this hour to the dangers posed to a country by private armies, countries like Russia. As we await the next act after last weekend's mutiny by troops from the military group Wagner and its leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, what's really emerged into centre frame is the number of other private armies or militias that operate inside Russia. The Wagner group's merely the biggest, the most notorious. This week, respected historians like Oxford Rana Mitter reminded us the growth of private armies and warlords in China's regions helped wreck that country's cohesion in the early years of the 20th century and ultimately laid the ground for the eventual communist takeover in 1949. So what's the context for all these Russian private militias? What do we need to know about them? Katerina Stepanenko is Ukrainian and a Russia analyst at the Institute for the Study of War in Washington. And I'm delighted to welcome her. Hello there. Hello there. Uh, Tell us about the size and scope of these various militia groups, please, so we just get a sense of them. Of course. I mean, the the size and scope is very limited, um, in terms of open source intelligence, we don't actually know how big these militias are. Um, for example, when Wagner began to its operations in Ukraine, we only saw around a thousand personnel, and now the that number expanded to at its peak to fifty thousand, uh, only to decrease to uh, reported by Prigozhin right now twenty five thousand. Um, other militias can be smaller or larger um, depending what kind of recruitment they conduct. But, I mean, we are, are we talking about all up, from what I've read, sort of more or less maybe 200,000 to 250,000 men spread around these various militias in Russia? Yeah, I think that's plausible. There is uh, – obviously, we don't have concrete numbers to go off. However, um, there are some reports that um, – Groups like Cossacks, for example, the Cossack militias that don't operate necessarily as a private military company, uh, but have a similar structure to it, have reserves of up to like 700,000 people Mm. that are affiliated with this organization. So it's really challenging to say, I mean, Cossacks, for example, have 15,000 personnel right now operating in Ukraine. And there's many other formations that um, go around Russia Russia and Ukraine um, that have been recruited either before the start of the war or after the start of the war. And have these people by and large had military, formal military training? Um, Most of them do not receive formal uh, military training. Um, however, there are some that receive some, you know, two to three weeks um, in training camps. Uh, now, the rest of the world is coming to understand this, but did you understand this? Uh, did did Russians generally understand it? Do Ukrainians understand that this was happening? Uh, you mean the armed rebellion? Yeah. No, no, not the rebellion. The The, the proliferation uh, of these private armies. Oh, yes, of course. We have started to observe the rise in volunteer recruitment last year after May of 2022. And we actually assessed that this was likely a result of uh, Russia realizing that they're running out of standing reserves within their um, Russian armed forces. And that had led to uh, a countrywide recruitment where any pre-existing entities such as 
ethnically based volunteer battalions, um, volunteer battalions within occupied territories, um, as well as Wagner PMC, um, Redut uh, Patriot PMCs, all started to uh, rapidly recruit men with or without military experience. And that process had been ongoing since then. Uh, until it was uh, partially um, interrupted by mobilization in September of 2022. So but I get the impression that, that oh. this had predated the war, like a lot of these armies had been recruited by private private groups, you know, companies, Gazprom, individual oligarchs. That's what's fascinating me, that, that, that this has been happening under, and it wasn't sort of widely known outside. Yes, we have seen some um, armed militias uh, being formed. Obviously, the most notable ones are the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics uh, that have been operating like Russian proxy uh, formations under the uh, Russian Southern Military District. There's also other uh, volunteer battalions that um, operated, such as the uh, North Ossetia and Alanya and Storm uh, volunteer battalions that have existed since 2016 on an ethnic and ideological basis. Um, like I mentioned, Cossacks uh, have a long history within Russia uh, after being legalized, I believe, in the early 2000s um, and have um, has since received even more legal uh, rights as an armed formation and as a uh, patrolling policing force. Um, so, yes, Russia has been forcing, forming these, um, namely for security purposes in the past. But, I mean, why would Gazprom, the Russian state-owned energy giant, have uh, have a, a, a private militia? Why has this sort of thing come about? I mean, that's the equivalent to sort of some of our, you know, BHP or whatever, <laughs> uh, having having a private militia. It's, it's hilarious to think about it. So this is what I'm trying to get to grips with, why this has occurred. The... Of- Gazprom was able to form a lot of their private military companies um, under the guise, under the legal loophole of um, their, the, the Russian law essentially allows for um, state-owned um, energy companies to create entities to defend their infrastructure. So it is completely legal under the Russian law. Uh, essentially to form groups that would defend um, infrastructure. And so what we started to see in February of 2023, that Russia was using uh, Gazprom to form new uh, volunteer formations that would otherwise then fight in Ukraine under that legal loophole as to not create more Wagner uh, type of groups. Uh, we should point out, of course, that under the constitution of the early 90s, these sorts of groups, that's what you're alluding to, were forbidden, weren't they? You couldn't raise a group that could pose in any shape or form a threat to the state. And this is what makes this all really even more remarkable. Yes, for sure. Uh, the Russian government has been um, adopting more and more laws that had expanded um, a lot of security forces. For example, in 2016, uh, the Russian government formed the Rosguardia, the Russian National Guard, that serves kind of similar purpose as um, a lot of the um, private military companies under Gazprom, uh, which is protecting infrastructure and the policing idea. Now, all of these forces are being used in um, in Ukraine um, as a way of combat power, uh, more so than, you know, their intended op- uh, intended uh, objective of defending infrastructure in is Russia. The, is the Rosgardia being used in Ukraine? You know that, do you? 
Uh, yes, Rosguardia is being used in the rear as a as a like I mentioned, a policing force to make sure that deserters, um, that, to make sure that um, Russian mobilized personnel do not run away from their positions. Um, so we have seen those. And then it is important to note that some units, um, some Chechen forces under um, Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov are also legally part of Rosguardia as well. And we have seen some Chechen forces uh, operate in Ukraine. Um now, I don't know with you saw Rana Mitter. I mentioned that, you know, one of the uh, the world's most respected historians, Rana Mitter, who's a specialist particularly in modern China, he reminded us this week that when central authorities effectively lose control of their military forces and start sort of farming them out, which is what happened in the late 19th century and the early 20th century in China, warlordism arrives and you suddenly have threats to the central authority and that can fundamentally undermine, as it certainly did in China, a country's cohesion and ability to to prosper. Is there any sense in your judgment that this is this could be the case in Russia as a result of the, the proliferation of all of these different groups? I think that's something that the Russian Ministry of Defence and the Kremlin is really trying to avoid. Uh, we have now seen that Russian Ministry of Defense had launched an extensive formalization campaign uh, by July 1, which is tomorrow in Washington time, uh, which intends to um, subordinate all irregular formations, including uh, private military companies, under the control of the Russian military. Um, this is very important given that it uh, provides the centralization of Russian personnel uh, volunteers, as well as uh, supplies. Um, so I, I think what we've seen this past weekend with the Wagner Group was likely a response to, to this. And we might see some more challenges that the Russian Ministry of Defense faces as they try to formalize uh, more of these forces. But as of now, I can't make a deci decisive forecast you know, on the health of the regime, given that Wagner was one of uh, many formations um, and probably a formation that enjoyed the most independence and most connection to the Kremlin itself. Yes. I mean, I know this is a bit of guesswork and everybody's trying to do it, but um, from what you know from the militias internally, uh, is there are there any particular owners of that militia, because I think that's the right word, who might be inclined to tilt at taking on the top job and, and saying, well, look, I'm you know, I'm, I'm ready to have a go um, be, because of uh, the, uh, the, post imp the impact of the rebellion and undermining Putin's perceived authority. I don't think that any particular figure stands out, but I will name drop some figures that we have been observing um, and the formations that they have. Uh, one of the figures that um, comes to mind is Konstantin Malafeev, who's a Russian oligarch and an ultra-nationalist. He's closely tied with um, Dugin and other Russian ultra-nationalists uh, who have been, um, who has been sponsoring a lot of the smaller private military companies, um, for example, tied to the volunteer union of Donbass who recruits for DNR and LNR units, as well as some Crimean private military companies that are aiming to defend um, occupation authorities. So that's one. Uh, another individual that comes to mind is uh, 
Alexander Bradai, who is the owner of the Union of Volunteers, uh, of the Donbass Volunteers. Uh, so there are definitely people that have access to forces and to this recruitment. However, we have not seen them use it in the same extent the way that um, obviously Wagner financier mm. Evgeny Prigozhin has. Look, thank you very much indeed for that overview. Thank you so much. And of course, if um, if uh, Putin didn't, if these private militias weren't there, he'd have to actually do a full-scale mobilisation, which as people have said, he's hemmed in everywhere at the moment. Katerina Stepanenko from the Institute for the Study of War in Washington. Well, up next, tackling transitions, how to combat Australia's hundreds of thousands of tonnes of textile waste. <laughs> ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.